Welcome to Inside the Media Minds. This is your host, Christine Blake. This show features in-depth interviews with tech reporters who share everything from their biggest pet peeves to their favorite stories. From our studio at W2 Communications, let's go Inside the Media Minds. Um, This is Christine Blake, the host of Inside the Media Minds, and I'm here at the RSA Conference in San Francisco with Hugh Taylor, the executive editor of the Journal of Cyber Policy. So thanks for joining us today, Hugh. Yes, great to be here. I'm glad that you're um, able to make some time in your busy schedule to talk to us here at RSA this year. Um, So give our listeners a a quick overview of the Journal of Cyber Policy and your role there. So uh, Journal of Cyber Policy is a cybersecurity industry blog. Um, It's been up for about two years now, and our focus is on cybersecurity as a corporate management issue, uh, as a financial issue, and we also cover public policy. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, I mean, our approach is we'll write about almost anything that people want to talk about, but we're not uh, heavy on engineering or hacking and that kind of thing. Yeah, not like your classic breach of the day or super tech-heavy type of a publication, right? Right. Mm -hmm. It's more about... Um, understanding how s- how solutions can help uh, companies or organizations mm-hmm. uh, define and enforce uh, information security policies. Okay, interesting. And um, who is your audience typically? Who do you write for? Um, our most of the most of our readers are people who work in in the management of cybersecurity, either in business or government. Mm-hmm. And probably a lot of software robots around the world yeah. that we don't we don't know about, but they show up in the Google results. Sure. So here at RSA this week, it's just um, you know there's so many vendors, there's so many people, so much noise, and I'm sure as a reporter, you get just a ton of emails. How do yeah. you select which um, you know companies to meet with, which vendors to meet with? Right. So you know I've gotten over a hundred queries. And I can't meet with everybody at the conference. So what I've done for most companies is I've shared my editorial calendar and I've said, let's catch up later in the year. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about, you know, endpoints in July and I'm talking about encryption in May or whatever to spread it out. Last year, I interviewed 60 companies in a two week period and spent six months digging out from that. I don't want to make that mistake again. No, that's definitely um, that would be very overwhelming. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to do that last year. So um, your approach sounds sounds solid for this year. Is there any way that you think companies can differentiate themselves from each other here at such a busy conference? Absolutely. And I'll mention, uh, you know, this is a, I've changed sides in this. I was a public relations executive previously. Um, I was a PR manager for SharePoint Technologies at Microsoft. And I've been in PR role. So I know what it's like to be pitching yeah. the media. And I will say that some of the pitches I've gotten haven't been that great, sure. really. I mean, there's, there's, I think, 700 companies here, and according to the Cybersecurity Yearbook that we just came out, there's over 3,000 companies in the industry, so you have to differentiate. And um, I think you have to have a story to tell that's bigger than your solution. You have to hook your solution into an issue that's bigger than your category. Um, that's certainly what would attract my attention. Um, and that may sound like really basic mm-hmm. comment, but I've been struck by how many companies are coming to me just saying, like, you know, basically we have a new feature or a new version or whatever. And I'm happy to talk to anybody, yeah. but it's certainly not attracting my attention. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned tying into bigger industry trends and, you know, bigger stories. What are some of those that you're seeing this year? And that's always changing and evolving. Well, uh, for example, 
um, cloud security is, uh, you know, has always, it's been a big theme over yeah. the years, but it's really getting serious now because we're seeing more breaches in the cloud and more awareness that the cloud has all these weird back doors and unintentional vulnerabilities that people, like, without any malfeasance, people are just building stuff that's completely insecure. So sure. um, if people are coming to me with a story like, you know, how do you manage an IT security department that's now that the organization is migrating to the cloud? Like that's to me an interesting topic because if you were a CISO, you're an executive, you're managing mm -hmm. people and how do you turn up a, a vulnerability like that? How do you mitigate it and how do you turn it into policies that you can then, you know, enforce by, you know, managing teams of people to do things differently? And then of course, the story then for, for mm -hmm. the person pitching me is, you know, how does my solution fit into that? Yeah. So like another uh, aspect of that is, you know, there are so many tools out there and most companies have a sort of a best of breed approach, but at some point there's too many tools. And so one of the stories that I like to talk about, I'm always, my ears are always open to is, how do you manage your tool set? How do you create your security operations center in an organized way that makes the best use of these tools and makes the best use of people's time? Okay, that's definitely an interesting approach. And you recently um, launched like a research component that you're that you're tracking. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so starting a couple of months ago, I started curating cybersecurity research. And one thing I noticed was that almost every day there were uh, interesting surveys coming out and reports, mostly done by companies wanting to, you know, promote themselves, but by doing research. And so um, we've already curated over 700 reports. Wow. And um, we have, and it's a very well visited part of the site. Mm -hmm. And it, you can search by, for example, one of the things that people always ask is how big is the market? Sure. So there's all these estimates of market size, and they vary, but then there's by sub segment, like, you know, the medical device security market. How big is that? The automotive yeah. market. And, um, and, and there's interest in that from investors, too, because they want to know, you know, the venture capitals want to know what's this, what does this category really look like? So that's we're, we're serving that. that so it's need. kind of like a one, one-stop shop for like different types of research where someone can go and find depending on the category they're looking for. Right. It's and it's research that's publicly available and doesn't right. cost anything because there's a whole industry of, of selling research. I don't. I'm not involved in that. Right. I mean, sometimes You're just I kind will, of organizing. I it. will link <laughs> to it if they have any public. If they're going to publish any numbers, even the press release, yeah. I'll link to it. So it's probably good for you know vendors to know if they do have research to send it your way, and that you'll yes. you know post it on your site. Mm -hmm. That's excellent. What role do you think like the importance of research? That's something we we always hear about. Like, to what extent is research important to you know building that differentiating you know value of a company? Well, I think if if you, I mean, I'm very like. Uh, business oriented so I understand that the companies pitching me want to sell their products sure. and solutions so they have to make a case make the case that um, you know for example this risk is serious so let's take automotive so they'll say you know automotive security incidents are projected to cost you know eight billion dollars next mm -hmm. year I just made that up but like <laughs> so all of a sudden you can go and say this is a serious issue you need to pay attention to it, and here's the research to back that to up. To show why you should pay attention to and, it. Or yeah. at the very least, it's a conversation starter. Like, that's the... And that's a good point. When I worked at Microsoft, this was a big issue. It's like, you know, what can people say when they go to call on a client? What are the, what's, what what's they that They need to start a conversation more than, I'm here, give me my money, you know? Right. So um, you want to have an issue to talk about. Like, yeah, yeah. oh, didn't you realize that, you know, cloud APIs are getting more and more insecure? Research right. backs it up and... 
Is that a concern you have? And then all of a sudden you're in a dialogue. Yeah, definitely. It's a good, it's a good way to start that conversation because otherwise, you know, people are just like, oh, this product's great because of this reason. It's like, well, why and how can you prove it? Mm -hmm. um, and then what are some of the biggest trends that you're seeing in the industry? And I know we've, here at RSA, we're talking about the human element a lot. So what are some trends that you're seeing um, this year? Well, um, I think cloud security, like I mentioned, is, yeah. is getting more and more prevalent. Uh, human factor is a big issue, partly because there's just not enough people, or people can't do enough. So we're seeing, I'm seeing, what I'm seeing this year is more advancement of trends that I've seen previously, like you know, helping automate uh, processes so that people don't have to work so hard or don't get burned out. One trend I've noticed, um, and this is not an industry trend, but I've noticed that there are more square corporate looking people here like me and fewer like people with like blue hair okay. and like you know stuff like it seems it's like the industry is getting a little more straight sure a little more corporate focused yeah. yeah maybe that's an rsa thing and other conferences aren't like that right so like, <laughs> like black hats maybe more <laughs> right more the hacker crowd. Yeah. A little more. Yeah. Yeah. um and then how do you see the journal of cyber policy sort of evolving like you know, with social media and just multimedia, how do you see the publication, you know, evolving in the future? Well, you know, we're we're new enough that we've been just trying to find our voice, and I and I've been getting closer and closer to what I think are my hot issues. Okay. And one of the issues that I'm trying to focus on now and plan to focus on more in the coming year is root causes of cybersecurity problems. Okay. And uh, this has been something that it took me a while to notice this, but you have this huge industry which employs over 300,000 people and is going to have revenue of over $130 billion this year. And I start to wonder, why are there so many problems to solve? Mm. You know, has any, and I know I'm not the first person to ask this question, but I've been probing into this. You know, why, why, it, why are so many systems designed with, with security problems in, in the them? the first place. You know, often by mistake, but all sometimes through sloppiness or through who knows? And and I've just published an article on this. It contained a great quote from someone who said, the internet is basically like an unfinished grad school project. Like the design quality <laughs> of the internet of the standards, yeah. it's like, it's at that level. It's someone in the 60s was like, oh, this would be a cool way to do it, sure. you know? And now we're living with it, you know? Yeah. So I don't know, like, do you feel like you'll get to, to figure that out? Do you think the industry will get to figure that out? Well, what I've been <laughs> trying to do is, I come to this understanding that I don't know everything, and I actually don't know that much at all. So I've been <laughs> trying to assemble panels of experts. That's why you ask the experts. Right, so I've <laughs> developed, I have, I have a database I'm building now of people who know more than I do. Sure. So I've been asking them because, you know, one thing I will say about the industry, I've worked in enterprise technology and across the board in different areas, and security is an area where almost everybody who's in it knows what they're talking about. It's not like I've been in some other yeah. categories, not mentioning names, where people are, they can kind of bluff their way through it. That sure. doesn't happen here. And you see, you meet people with serious government credential, background, extensive depth. And so when someone says, you know, I think operating systems are in, insecure by design, I take that as an, a valid comment. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'd be curious to see kind of how, how your coverage of that and what these experts are coming to say, like what what is the solution? Are we getting closer to it? Is it are people just rushing to get products out there that are going to band-aid it? Well, I I, I my concern, and I, this is not this is not me as a blogger, but just sure. as a person in the United States, is that there may have to be some serious crisis in order for this to get addressed. Yeah, and it may involve, for example, a change in tort law. 
you know, that one of the one of the biggest problems is that nobody really buys tech products; they license them. So you can't sue. It's not like if 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 any other product, like if you bought a blender or a washing machine that had this many problems, you'd sue. Yeah. But you can't because you're you're not actually buying it. So there may need to be some breakthrough, probably caused by a huge calamity, sure. where this will change. Yeah. Interesting. And then a question that we always ask people on um, inside the media minds is. It's almost like a prediction, but, you know, we're coming into a lot of um, election security conversations, nation mm -hmm. state attacks. What do you think is going to be one of the most um, biggest headlines of the year? Every year kind of has that banner headline. What do you think this 2020 is going to be? I, I'm going to make a prediction that probably won't come true, but I'll tell you what I'm worried about. Sure. Uh, I, I like to call myself a renaissance paranoiac. I'm, I'm worried about <laughs> many different things. Um, but I, I'm worried about uh, what I would call a synergistic attack. Uh -huh. That if you look at, and this is, I'm, I'm writing a book on this subject right now. It's, it, if you look at a lot of, for example, attacks from Russia, there are many different kinds of attacks. And they're all sort of low level and hard to attribute. But if you look, if you take a hard look at it, you can see a pattern, mm -hmm. which is you have ransomware attacks on municipalities. Sure. You have um, cyber physical attacks like potential implants and power grids, you have data breaches, you have social media disinformation, and if these things occur in a synergistic way, there could, if there was an intent, for example, to disrupt the United States, mm -hmm. you could have a situation where there's, there's, there's quite a lot of chaos. Yeah. Um, and who knows what? I mean, and, and this was one of the questions I asked in an article a few months ago, which is, do you think disinformation is a form of hacking? It's like a Facebook disinformation mm -hmm. campaign, a form of hacking. Because it, and this, people d varied in their opinions, but if you look at it like, you know, you have, let's say, a Russian intelligence service that is deliberately trying to m abuse authorization on the Facebook. It's, it's yeah. really a form of hacking. And the thing that's stuck in my mind talking to these experts is that if you look at the 2016 election interference, that was allegedly done by a group of about 200 people there are at least 15,000 people in the Russian service doing, capable, capable of doing this. And, the, and one person said the number is actually a lot higher, but it's classified and I can't tell you. Yeah. And so the question is, what are the other 98% of these people doing yeah. or what can they do? And so if they decide to disrupt, let's just say, let's call to cause chaos in the United States the day before the election, you might see a sort of synergistic attack, multiple yeah. things that cause breakdown yeah, in the yeah. society. Interesting. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's, you know, that definitely could be something that I guess happened. I mean, that would definitely spark an industry conversation of like, what can we be doing to solve these types of problems? Just on what, also what I think can happen potentially is that the assumptions people make about their ability to respond may be flawed. Sure. That, for example, a lot of response plans assume that people can talk to each other on the phone or that they can get out of their house. Right. And, and um, what if you can't, right? Right. It's or, spooky. you know, what if your city's on fire and the fire department has been ransomware yeah. and on and on. And, you know, and there's disinformation that gets people yeah. out of their houses with their guns. And, yeah. you know, I don't want to get too into it, right. but like you could... Uh, you know, if you're paranoid like me, you can get quite <laughs> elaborate. You know? Yeah, I know. I'm, I mean, just like it's been what, like two years since the Atlanta ransomware attack, and I just think that on you know those the state and local governments. I mean, that's such a huge topic that 
I mean, it's been talked about a lot here at the show already. And then I, I know we, we see a lot of articles about it. And it's just something that people do need to be concerned about. I think it is important. Yes. So awesome. And then, and then switching gears, Hugh, I just want to know, um, we, we do have a couple of listener questions. Okay. So I want to pop into those. Okay. Um, what, are, what is one of your most memorable stories that you've written? Well, I, a story that I'm, I'm proud of and that I think made an impression on certain people was about the uh, role of cyber threats in domestic violence. Okay. And this was a story that ca came to me from a vendor that had a monitoring solution to monitor home security systems and stuff like that. And it, it, um, it, it is a potential problem. And it's, I think these, it, what I, I talked to a lot of experts and advocates and that now the domestic violence sort of um, sheltering process, I don't know if that's the right term, but when women come into a shelter, there's a complete digital like cleansing that goes on, a closing of all accounts, oh, wow. of any point of surveillance, any app, device, because otherwise they've learned, unfortunately, that people who are very committed to abusing something, they'll find a way. Anything, So yeah. this is wow. a, um, a story. Um, so... That sounds like an interesting story. I mean, definitely, a, a, you wouldn't really think to put those two things together. So I think it is. It does sound like an interesting story. I probably have to go back and right. read it. But mm -hmm. it sounds like, um, you know, shedding light on a topic like that mm -hmm. could be you know, beneficial for people to know about. I think mm -hmm. that's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and then, is it um, is it true that you've produced movies? I think I read that. <laughs> I, yes, I come, it's going back a while, okay. probably before, we you, guys, hear about before it. you were born, <laughs> but I worked in uh, television. I, I, I Originally, I know I look like an old squirt, no. but I used to, I was a film student in the 80s and I, you know, wore black turtlenecks and smoked okay. cigarettes and watched French films and all that kind of stuff. Wow. Yeah. I could see and, it. And um, <laughs> I, um, uh, I, uh, I was involved in producing television movies and sure. TV shows. Uh, in fact, in 1990, I worked for a man named Edgar Sherrick, who was a famous television producer at the time. He wow. created the wide world of sports, and he was the president of ABC in the 60s. And he was approached by Donald Trump to do a show called Trump Tower. And the idea was it was pitched as the Algonquin Roundtable meets Dynasty, set in Trump Tower, a primetime soap opera set in Trump Tower with Donald Trump <laughs> as the behind-the-scenes Machiavellian manipulator. And it was one of his first four... It never got on the air, but they, we hired <laughs> a woman named Claire Labine who had co-created Ryan's Hope to be the writer. It was a whole uh -huh. thing. And we only knew that. <laughs> right, exactly. It was one of his first forays into television. <laughs> Oh, man, that's interesting. Well, you have a fascinating background, yeah. Well, I think, I mean, we're, we had a great conversation, learned a lot about your background. You have a fascinating background, I mean, working with Microsoft, producing movies, and now writing for the Journal of Cyber um, Policy. I mean, it's you have a very interesting background, and um, thanks a lot for sharing all of that knowledge with us today and yes. helping our listeners learn a little bit more about you and, and your approach to some of the coverage. Yeah, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you yeah. so much for the opportunity. Thank you. And everyone listening, this has been Christine Blake at the RSA Conference with Hugh Taylor. Thanks for, um, for joining us today. Have a great rest of your okay. week. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Inside the Media Minds. To learn more about our podcast and hear all of our episodes, please visit us at w2com.com slash podcast and follow us on Twitter at Media Mind Show. And you can subscribe anywhere podcasts are found. 